Hey, this is Dan Reeves. I'm the lead pastor of Journey Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Welcome to our podcast. Before we get going, we just want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. We believe that you matter, not only to us, but to Jesus. Our hope is that you find something new and life-giving in Him today. Here's today's message. Good morning. It is so good uh, to be together. Uh, my name is Dan. If you're new here, I see a couple new faces in the room. Uh, always glad to see people that stop in. Whatever brought you here, I hope you feel at home. Uh, grab a cinnamon row, as Adam uh, uh, said, and let us know you're here. We would love to. Uh, uh, we'd love to get to know you a little bit better uh, if uh, if uh, that's something that you're interested in. Uh, if you're just checking things out, that's cool too. Uh, we understand sometimes you you, you got to get a feel for things, and uh, life's complicated. Church is complicated complicated, uh, and uh, sometimes we need to move at a pace that uh, we can handle, and uh, that's totally fine, too. Uh, but I do hope to see some of you back t- tonight at 530 uh, for Journey Basics uh, with me. We have a good meal and uh, spend a few minutes together just talking about our future, our vision, what we believe and where we're going, uh, and uh, I would love to spend some time with you as well. Hey, today what we're doing uh, is uh, we're in the third part of a seven-part series. Uh, it's called Deep Truths. Deep Truths. And what we're doing uh, is essentially this. It's built around this concept that uh, the things that we hold on to uh, are not fleeting. They're not here today, gone tomorrow. There's some things that we can uh, latch onto. And, and the trouble, it seems like in, in, in our day and age, uh, and it's probably like this in other day and ages, but this is the one that I live in, uh, is that sometimes it's easy for us to see what's going on around us and try to draw conclusions from um, what's surrounding us. And, and sometimes it can get really confusing. And I think the more information uh, that we have in this season, like probably this, uh, this age that we're in, I think one of the unique things in the information age is we have access to so many different ideas. And on one, one side, that's really good because we're challenged to grow and we're challenged to uh, be transformed. And it's good. I mean, I had a conversation this week with someone uh, and, and we, were, we were dialoguing about uh, why things were, were so, are so different uh, now versus uh, maybe just even 10 years ago. And I was like, well, uh, the lines between things are, are really blurred. So now there's a lot of crossover. So we, we're able to talk and dialogue uh, if we can keep from debating and arguing uh, about things so that we can be challenged and transformed. So there's some really good things about that. But there's also some challenges with that. Sometimes it can be really hard to sort out uh, what's true um, and who claims what's true. And uh, when you even use a word like truth, that can be a really difficult proposition uh, to, to palate, you know? I mean, it's one of those things that, uh, quite honestly, uh, I think for most of us, there's a lot of questions surrounding that. And uh, you know, uh, if you've been here any length of time, that we enjoy those questions. We think that that's healthy for us to ask those questions. But we don't ask questions just to be questioning. We are truly trying to find answers. And uh, the beauty of what we're doing here uh, over the next few weeks and what we started a couple weeks ago is uh, we're not just looking to continue contemporary opinions about things. We're going back farther and we're trying to say, say, what are some things that have stood the test of time? What are some things that haven't changed? through the years. Uh, and, and it pertains specifically to matters of faith when it pertains to Christianity or what you might define as being a Christian. Um, how do you even know what that is? I mean, there's so many different flavors, it seems. I mean, you've got Baptist churches, Methodist churches, Presbyterian churches. You've got some that uh, don't want to have anything to do with any of those. Uh, and, and so there's all these different kind of flavors. And so how do we all call ourselves Christian? 
And that might be something you're considering or a question you've heard or contemplated. And so what we're simply doing is we're going back to seven core truths, seven core ideas that we find in scripture and that have stood the test of time. There are things that we unite around as, uh, as Christians, whether or not uh, you have a particular denominational name or whether or not you're from a particular background. These are the things that, uh, to use the, maybe kind of the churchy word, are the orthodox things that the church has held to through the ages. And that can be really helpful, uh, but it can be really challenging. And so we found out last week, didn't we, when we were talking about the Trinity, everybody have some good discussions in your journey groups last week, uh, talking about the Trinity, trying to wrap your mind around that. Well, today may not be a whole lot easier because the topic for today, we're going to throw it up here on the screen for you, uh, is going to be the full deity and the full humanity of Jesus, the Christ. Now, some of y'all are just blown away because you're like, why did you put the Christ in parentheses? You didn't even see the rest of it, right? Uh, and that's simply because uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name. And sometimes I just feel like it's helpful to remind everybody that. Uh, like my name is Dan Reeves. Reeves is my last name. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's actually a title. Uh, and that title comes with embracing two realities. The full deity means that Jesus is fully divine and that he's fully, fully human. Now, this is a difficult idea, is it not? We're going to dig into it a little bit. So today's going to feel as last week. We've got a lot of things to throw at you. This is a little different because of the nature of the topic. We're not going to stay in one passage and just go straight through it like we normally do. Uh, we're going to have a, a little bit of a survey. Uh, we'll try to ground it primarily in 1 John because uh, the writer John was actually dealing with some of these issues uh, in the early church. But we're going to jump around a little bit. So if you've got a copy of scripture, uh, a Bible, uh, pull that out. Uh, if you don't have one, let me say this and we'll jump in. Uh, you can always stop by the Welcome Center and pick one up on your way out. It's our gift to you because we think that's the greatest gift that anybody could have is the very words of God. Uh, for us, they are the authority in all matters of faith and practice uh, and life in general. And so uh, we would love you to have a copy uh, of that. So with this in mind, I want to set the stage a little bit because sometimes like this, you can be already be asking the question, well, what difference does that make? Okay. Sometimes when you, you, you bring up more like I, I would call them scholarly or academic or theological to use that term, uh, kind of loosely because everything's the, theological in church and in life. Um, when you bring these things up, sometimes there's this automatic disengagement because you're like, okay, well, I'm trying to pay my bills. You know what I mean? I don't have time to think about like some of these very high and lofty thoughts and, and really contemplate uh, uh, some of these difficult topics, you know? Uh, I mean, what difference does it make when I'm trying to raise my kids? What difference does it make when I'm trying to, uh, you know, uh, love my wife or love my husband well, or I've got, a, I, I've got a deadline on my job, you know, or something like that? What difference does it make? Well, we just believe that because they're deep truths, uh, it's kind of like the roots on a tree, uh, that what happens under the surface plays out above the surface. And so what's happening under the surface of our lives uh, says everything about how you operate in the rest of your life. So whatever's happening in your life, I, I think sometimes it's easy for us to treat symptoms in our life without going deeper. And so we're calling it deep truths because these are the types of things that cause us issues. So let me provide a little lifestyle context for this topic, and then we're gonna jump into some of the uh, more pressing matters from scripture itself, okay? Um, 
let, let me just kind of get to know you a little bit. Um, when, when, when we talk about life, I think probably one of the things that we would have in common, I would think, is that we all can appreciate a certain level of certainty in life. And I think likewise, when we don't have uncertainty, when we have uncertainty, I would say that every one of us, at some level, it causes tension and discord in us. If that's you, if you agree with that statement, would you raise your hand just in agreement? Okay. If you disagree, raise your hand. Good, okay, I've gotten to know you, all right? You've gotten to know me, we all agree uh, on that matter. So here's the thing. We, when, we, when we have certainty or, you know, to the best of our ability, we have certainty, uh, we feel comfortable moving forward in life. Uh, when there's uncertainty, we feel very apprehensive, uh, and, and that can surface in a lot of different areas in our life. Uh, it can surface in your job. Um, I, I think a lot of the things that have been the most disconcerting over the last two years with COVID and all those type of things is things have changed. Things that you used to feel uh, or had the appearance of certainty, uh, the illusion of certainty have been removed, and now you don't have it. Uh, and so we see this in our culture. There's this just this undercurrent of uncertainty that manifests itself in a whole lot of different ways, whether it be, um, you know, our family arguments or maybe with your job, you know, things like that. Uh, maybe it's been a strain on your, uh, your marriage. Maybe it's been a strain on your relationship with the church. Things that used to be just kind of there and you could kind of say, okay, I, that's on autopilot if there, if there is such a thing. Uh, everything was good. And then once you throw uncertainty into the mix, it seems like everything begins to get rattled, doesn't it? And this can happen in a medical situation. It can happen in parenting. It can happen in a church. It can happen just in your business. It can happen in all kinds of things, right? But I would say the deepest issues of life are the places that cause us the most, uh, the most difficulty. And one of the things that I think I know about you too is that at some point in your life, um, if you have not already, you will ask the question, you know, what's my future look like? Um, you may ask a deeper question than that. That might, that might lead you to a question like, uh, is there a God? It might lead you to a question that says, well, what's my relationship? If there is a God, what's my relationship to him? And, and it might even surface into saying, am I okay or am I not? And these are the things that are under the surface of all of our lives. And we can come into a place like this and we can kind of go through the motions but this is the undercurrent, isn't it, of our lives? Certainty and uncertainty. And I would suggest that just like we may have a, a society right now in a certain level of uncertainty, when there is uncertain, uncertainty spiritually, our whole foundation is rattled to the core and nothing seems to work right. And you can't get past it. It surfaces when you're in your teenage years, when you're in your 20s. It surfaces when you're in 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. You don't outgrow it. This is something of what it means to be human. This is something that the cows in the field next to our house, I don't see them contemplating or having discussions about. This is who we are. And the reason I mention this in the context of this statement is because we would obviously want certainty when it comes to God but it seems very mystical. It, it, it seems very ethereal, doesn't it? Just the idea of God. And so when we talk about the full deity and the full humanity of Jesus, who is the Christ, 
it gets to the heart of God meeting us in the greatest need of our life, the need for certainty and the dismissal of uncertainty. Matter of fact, um, this guy uh, named John, one of the apostles, he wrote uh, the Gospel of John, he wrote three letters uh, in the New Testament, and he also wrote the Revelation, the, the last book in the Bible. And uh, we, we hit uh, a couple of scriptures from him last week. He was the one that, was, uh, uh, that lasted the longest. He lived the longest out of all the disciples, okay? Uh, and so he saw a lot of his brothers and sisters go on before him. Many of them martyred for their faith. Um, he himself went through a lot of pain, all those type of things for his faith and for his beliefs. But at the end of his life, near the end of his life, he started putting the pieces together to try to encourage people. And the thing that he went to, to encourage them, was the full deity and the full humanity of Jesus. And think about that. Of all the things that he could do to encourage someone, this is where he landed the plane. And the reason for that is simply what I think is his summary at the end of one of his letters, 1 John uh, chapter 5, verse 13. He makes this statement. And I want this to set the stage for where we're going today. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John wanted you to know. He didn't want it to be something that was um, confusing. He wanted it to be something concrete. Uh, at, at the end of his life, near the end of his life, he, he was wrestling with this too. I mean, you have to go through things. When you go through things, you have to ask these questions. And this is what he resolved to do. He wanted his life to be used and leveraged so that what he knew at the end of his life, you could know in your life too. And it has everything to do with embracing this weird tension between Jesus, the Christ, being fully divine and fully human at the same time. Now, that's John's take, but John's not alone. Uh, this, this weird belief that uh, Jesus was not just a teacher, uh, he was not a philosopher, uh, he was not a philanthropist, but he was actually God in the flesh. Uh, if you could just pallet that for a second, let that sit on you. And, and, and maybe if you're a church person, let's just take uh, the familiarity out of it. That is a really strange notion. That's why a lot of people in your life look at your life and look at your faith and they go like, I don't get it. And, and, and they should on one level. There should be something that's jarring about this. This is something to wrestle with that's, that an individual in history could uh, not just be a teacher, not just be a philanthropist, not just be uh, a writer uh, or a social servant, but that he could actually be God. And John wasn't alone in this. This was the glue that held the church together. As a matter of fact, a, a contemporary of John, a guy named Paul, uh, in one of his letters in the New Testament, Colossians chapter two, this is the most succinct statement I could find to kick it off with that was in scripture. This is what Paul says. He says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All right, you cannot get a more direct statement than that. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, planted more churches than anybody. Um, it's kind of the go-to guy theologically in explaining a lot of this stuff to the early church that God used to do that. Um, he says, when you talk about Jesus, what you're talking about is you're talking about an individual that had the fullness of divinity, deity, living within bodily form. Now, you may look at this and you think, well, John was obviously a first century character, Paul the saint. And uh, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There's this chronological snobbery that, this way C.S. Lewis describes it. 
where we think, well, they were just archaic. Uh, they were uncivilized. Uh, they had not increased in knowledge to the point where we are right now. And so obviously they were predisposed to believe this kind of nonsense that uh, an individual could be both God and man at the same time. But the reality speaks differently. If, you're, uh, if you study history at any level and you look at the Greeks, the Romans, and the first century Jews, you find out that this was the farthest thing from any of their beliefs. As a matter of fact, the, there were some common ancient assumptions of divinity that you could kind of say is a, is a broad smattering across uh, all those different cultures. And uh, I'm narrowing it down to two that they all held. One is that a divine being was not susceptible to suffering. Uh, if a divine being was there, then he was not susceptible or she was not susceptible to earthly suffering. Now, there might be something happening cosmically. There might have been gods warring with each other, like in uh, Greek mythology or something like that. But what you and I would call a suffering with us, they would not be susceptible to the human level of suffering. And the second thing that they would have assumed is that a divine being is immortal and therefore cannot die. Uh, that you have stories even in some of these cultures uh, where a godlike figure might die and then come back or take a different form or something like that. But if you were a divine being, you were by definition immortal and you could not die. Now, this was obviously a problem. When you were talking about and propagating this, um, this news about Jesus that uh, many thought were, uh, was a revolutionary leader, for the Jewish people that the Romans executed, okay? When you think about that, when you look at Jesus that way, then to suggest that this Jesus, one, he died, okay, well, that would mean, by definition, he's not immortal, he's not he's susceptible to suffering, and so he can't be divine. He's not immortal because he died. But then to say that this Jesus came back to life and overcame death, now this would have been hard to swallow to anybody um, in the ancient world. They were not predisposed to believe this kind of, in, in, in common language, nonsense, okay? And so what happened was that through the first two, three centuries of the church, much like today, there were a lot of opinions about Jesus and this very issue, okay? And uh, one of the ways that that got reconciled is because there were so many different opinions about it. We talked about it last week, um, that by the time you got to the first council of all the churches, which was in AD 325, it was the Council of Nicaea, uh, they got together and because there were so many different things swirling out there uh, to try to diminish the idea that Jesus was fully divine and fully human, that they had to put it in writing and they said, hey, this is what we believe. This is what it means to be Christian. And so I just want to hit that part again this week um, because I think that you can kind of get into that mindset. Now we're, we've moved two to 300 years in the future. They're still wrestling with this. People are still wrestling with this concept. And this is what they resolved when they all got together, these churches got together and they said this about Jesus. Uh, the, the confession was, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, <coughs> excuse me, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. We're going to roll through like three more slides real quick. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. 
For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then the last one, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. Now, this is the songs we sang this morning, okay? This was our worship set. Uh, this is what we sang about. Uh, and so this is what holds us together. Because these are the things that the early church was trying to reconcile the wording to wrap our minds around and our language around this completely wild idea that an individual could both be God and man at the exact same time. Because not only did they have some beliefs and assumptions about um, about God and the divine, they also had some leading uh, uh, assumptions and understandings about humanity. Uh, we'll hit two, just like we hit two for the divine. These are two things that they thought about humanity. Humanity consisted of a physical body. We would all agree with that, right? Uh, it, it's a physical body. Like there is no humanity without physical bodies. You, you are where you are. There's a seat that you're sitting in. Uh, you walk in here with your own two feet, so on and so forth. This is who you are. Uh, you are a physical being. You were created that way. But also about humanity, there was also a non-physical component. Uh, some of them would call it a soul or spirit. Uh, easiest way for us to talk about it would be uh, your, the mental capacity that you have or possibly the emotional capacity that you have. And they would call that the soul or the spirit. Interchangeably, they were kind of the same thing depending on who you talk to. Um, and, and so they said, this is what it means to be human. There's parts of you that you can uh, experience through your senses, your sight, your smell, touch, all those kind of things. And then there's the spiritual, non-physical part. And they would relate that to your thoughts because uh, you can't really sense your thoughts. You can't really smell your thoughts, you know. Uh, your emotions, the, the things you feel, those are things that you can't quite put your finger on, but they're there. There's a presence that you have to recognize. And so as humanity has wrestled with these ideas, uh, they say, okay, well, you've got to embrace the reality of a physical body and a non-physical component. That's what it means to be human. And the problem with this, the reason this matters to us here today in 2021 is simply this, is that if you are going to speak of spiritual certainty, okay, spiritual certainty, and you're going to do it primarily talking about things that you can't see, you can't hear, you can't touch, and you can't smell, then in some regard, all bets are off, wouldn't you say, just from a logic standpoint, Okay, uh, at, at a very rudimentary level, bottom rung level, if you can't actually see it, taste it, hear it, smell it, then what does it really mean? It's your opinion, right? And that's why a lot of people don't believe this stuff is because they would say that your faith is about blind faith. Uh, it's speculation at best. It's assumptions. It's wishful thinking. Uh, and they would relate Christianity uh, to that. But here's the thing that's unique about Christianity. This is where we get into scripture because what scripture does is, is it illuminates for us that what Jesus did, what God did in the person of Jesus is he came in a physical body and he ministered to us on a soul or spiritual level. So the thing that's unique about Christianity is that it embraced both the physical and the non-physical. Okay, now 
Hold that intention for just a second, and let's look at Scripture and see if that makes a little bit more sense. Let's look at what John said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. He says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked at with our, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Now, notice what he does here. This is a letter, uh, and this is different than um, pretty much all the other letters in Scripture because he doesn't even do like, hey, my name is John, you know, type of thing. Uh, hey, everybody, hope you're doing well. I've been praying for you. He doesn't do any of that. The first words out of the gate for John were that which was from the beginning. Now, this is important because, again, where do most of us find our uh, um, information uh, and our understanding from what's immediately around us. And the problem that John said, even back in the first century, was that you're not going back far enough. That in order to really find context for your life, you can't find context from the chapter of life that you're in. 2021 is not going to give you accurate context for the world and for faith and for life. There's going to have to be a broadening of an aspect. And what John suggests is that you actually have to go back farther than you think. You have to go back farther than you think and you have to go all the way to the beginning. It's kind of like some of you, um, if you walk into the middle of a movie, some of you can do that and you're like, I don't really care. But you're fighting the whole time to find the plot, you know? Uh, some of you are like, that's why I, don't, I can't sit down and watch a movie in the middle of it. I've got to see it from the beginning. That's why some of you, you don't just pick up a novel and start in chapter 17, right? Because you know, like, I, who are the characters? What's this about? How do, we, uh, how do we get here? What's the plot? We know this intuitively with the, the shows you binge watch on Netflix or Hulu, and we know it in movies and we know it in books. But a lot of us don't live that way with faith. We don't go back far enough to find the context for our current situation in life. And so what does John do? It's, it's a profound thing, so simple. He says, let's go back to the beginning. And then you go back to the beginning, what do you do? You look and say, this is what we have seen. This is what we've heard. This is what we've looked at. This is what our hands have touched. This is what our hands have touched. Do you see what he's doing here? He's tanking this profound truth about Jesus, and he's actually countering uh, a common heresy that was happening in the early church, and it, it pops up in different ways today. It was called Gnosticism, uh, but without getting too deep, basically is this, is that God, Jesus couldn't be God and human at the same time. He, he couldn't. One uh, take on that was that uh, body was inherently evil, and if God was inherently good, then the two things could not coexist. Okay, that, that makes kind of logical sense. That's how they got there mentally. And so when someone would come into town and they'd say, hey, listen, Jesus is the son of God. Uh, he's the same thing as God. He's co-equal, co-eternal, all those things that we talked about last week, uh, mutually dependent, all those type of things. Uh, they would say, no, he's, he's made by God. Uh, he was created by God, but he's not God. He's just a teacher. He's a prophet, you know, and we can go there, but we can't say that he's God. And John, later, late in his life, everything he had seen, all that he had been with, been through, he holds on to this very thing as the thing that he says is the glue for our faith. So you have to ask the question then. Let's go back to our con conversation about certainty. Where does certainty start? Where does it start? Well, uh, is it 
about our, does it start here currently for our current reality? Is it cultural? Now, this is not about a culture war. I'm talking about um, the difference between Japanese and American, whatever that means, <laughs> you know, uh, versus someone that's living in a village uh, out, in the, out in the bush somewhere. Those are cultural realities, and they all come with different ways of looking at the world, don't they? Now, if you were just to base your certainty based on your own cultural experience, if that was the sum total of your experience of God and all those type of things, then wouldn't you say that that's not a very good place to actually start? That's something that you have to go back to the beginning. So is it something current? Is it something cultural? Or would we say that there is something consistent? There's something consistent that's out there that we can look to that provides us stability that transcends culture, that transcends our current time that we live in, uh, our current situation. Is there something that's consistent that we can look to? Christianity answers this question. It answers this question because what it says is yes. Jesus being fully divine and fully human addresses this very issue. So let's go back to 1 John 1, 1 and let's just drive down through the passage real quick because he says, this is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. This is what, we've, this is what I'm talking to you about. And this is unique because he's, he makes this uh, profound statement, doesn't he? He says, These, this is what our hands have touched. This is what our hands have touched. Now, again, let's get into John's first century shoes for just a second, okay? And, and let's think about when did, when did John see Jesus? When did he hear Jesus? And when did he touch Jesus? Well, here's just a few. This is not, this is not just the sum total, but just think about day to day. There was a transfiguration moment that I want to point out and then the resurrection itself, okay? So when he says we, he's not just talking about his experience. He's talking about collectively everyone that was still putting their faith and trust in Jesus after going through all this hardship and difficulty. And, and if you look at that words, our hands have touched. Uh, the Greek word for that means to grasp or feel in order to find. It's kind of like what some of you do when you wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and it's dark and you're like doing this so you don't stump your toe. You know, you're trying to find on, you're trying to hold on to something uh, to secure in there it means to grasp and to feel in order to find now this is the thing about faith again they were not predisposed to this they had to feel in order to find it it was physical right now how did he do that day to day he did that John did that day to day he spent roughly three years with Jesus one of the passages I just pointed out was just a profound uh, situation, an episode uh, called The Last Supper, where they gathered together for the last meal and Jesus has, and, and it's said that John is laying on Jesus' chest. He's reclining next to Jesus, laying up against him. He touched him. He was that close. And many would say that John was closer than any of the disciples to Jesus, relationally speaking, okay? But that's not all. He also had an experience uh, called the transfiguration. You can read about it on Matthew chapter 17. Uh, it was a, a moment, easiest way I know how to say it in, in a short form, is this when Jesus revealed his glory as God. Uh, he was glowing and all this kind of stuff. John saw that. He was on the mountain. He saw that. And then likewise, after all that had gone away and Jesus had died and John lost all hope, 
the reclining at the table moment, the transfiguration. Now you've seen Jesus crucified. You've heard his cries. You've heard him say, it is finished. He gives his spirit up and then he is gone and he's buried into a tomb. And for three days, John, like the other disciples, all the others that were following him, all the men and women that had been tracing along with Jesus, they lost all hope until three days later. And when three days later came up, what did they experience? A physical resurrected body. And much like that episode uh, in Luke 24 where uh, there were disciples on the road to Emmaus and in, in that passage, uh, Jesus says, see, touch and, touch and see. He invites them to touch his resurrected body to see that it's not a ghost. It's not a mirage. It's not wishful thinking. This is the foundation of our faith. And if you, if you can't get there, then that makes sense because it's a big hurdle to get over. But this is the core of it. Now, how do you get to the certainty of this? How, does, how do you get there with this? Well, watch what John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 2, going back into our primary passage. He says, the life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now, when we think of eternal life, um, what do most of us think of when we think of eternal life? Just somebody say something. What do you think of when you think of eternal life? Heaven, okay. What else? Huh? Life after death, okay. What else? Forever? Yeah, forever. Like it's going to go on forever, you know? But here's the thing. When we talk about eternal life in context of Scripture, what, what did they think of? Well, first of all, eternal life was not just duration, but it was also quality. It was quality. Um, it was the type of life we were meant to live. Okay, that's why when you get to Revelation and it talks about, uh, I think it's Revelation 19, if I remember right, I can't remember, it's 19, 20 or 21, it's somewhere in there, the last three chapters or so. But it says that uh, when Jesus returns and he says, behold, I am making all things new. Uh, what does that mean? Well, that means that he is continually, continually inviting us into the goodness of his creation and the goodness of his character. And it's, that's a quality thing. Now, it's, it, it, it does have to do with time because how long is it going to take to get to know this God and to enjoy him forever? Think about it with marriage for a second. Uh, Veronica and I have been married for 26 years and uh, I loved her 26 years ago and I love her now. But here's the thing about marriage. Marriage is deciding that I'm going to spend the rest of my life getting to know this person. Now, we do that in a very broken fallen way. But when we think about God and the perfection and the holiness and the goodness of God, that means that if God is ex as expansive and immense as he, he would seem to be, that it would naturally take forever duration to enjoy the quality of life. And so heaven is not just some floating around mystically on a cloud. It is new heaven and new earth coming down and eternal life then through this means that it's also attainable and it's accessible. See, the physical na nature of Jesus means that this is not just um, getting one with the universe. You can't put your finger on that. You, you can't 
taste, smell, or sense that. Um, This is not just about the big guy upstairs or, you know, being a better person. This is about God coming down in the flesh so that we can attain something physically and we can access creation that we were meant to access, the new creation, the new humanity of Jesus Christ. So if you take that, this is consistent with what all the, uh, all the writers and, uh, of the early believers wrote in Scripture. Uh, John himself, back in John chapter 1, verse 1, this is what he said about that word. Remember, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's cool spacing around there. All right. Um, So this is what he says. This is what he says. This is verse one and verse 14. There's a lot of stuff in the middle of it, but essentially he's saying the word, which is logos, um, which this is the word of life, which we talked about last week with the Trinity. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter one, what John does is he takes Genesis chapter one and John chapter one, he reshapes creation into a new creation. And he says, Jesus is going to speak into new creation. And you can follow the train of thought through those, both those narratives and it's gonna lead you to the same spot. And this is why when we look at Jesus, we treat Jesus as if he is the authority and he is the lens by which we understand all of scripture. Because in Hebrews chapter one, verse one and two, this is what it says. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Now, this is taking the grandeur of God, the one that made everything, the one that sustains everything. And there's tons more scriptures that we could go to on here. There's not time to go to it because I'm already out of time. All right. But there's tons more scriptures we could dig into and it would be good. But I like the way N.T. Wright says this. This is one of my favorite quotes. And uh, um, I read a lot of different people. And, but this quote's always stuck out to me about this issue. He says, how can you live with a terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that the fire has become flesh, that life itself has walked into our midst. Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of the world where it's a sham, a total nonsense. Most people unable to cope with either of those two things are condemned to live in the shadow world in between. And the reason I mentioned that particular quote is because when we, when we get into some of these things like this, we can't handle, some, some of us, we can't handle and at different times of our growth, this idea that all of God could exist in a body, in an individual. And so because of that, what do we do? We just become satisfied to not think about it. We just wanna live in the middle. Hey, I'm just not a very deep person. Hey, you know, you know I got things to do this week. But here's what it means. If if you would call yourself a Christian, I'm gonna challenge you for a second, okay? You have been given a brain. Why have you been given a brain? I would suggest that you have been given a brain not just to perform your job and your tasks. It's not just to help you to get from here to there. It is God has given you a body and he's given you a mind so that you can relate to him. And he has revealed himself through his scripture 
and he has revealed himself through his son so that you can develop your brain. And I think that we have a very anemic, I'm just going to say it, we have a very anemic church these days because we like devotionals, we like quick hit tweets, we like Instagram things that we can put out there. And here's what God wants us to do. He wants to challenge us to be transformed. It's what Paul said. He says, you're renewed in your mind. You're transformed by renewing your mind. And if you would call yourself a Christian here, let's be intellectually honest with ourselves. How much are you challenging your already held beliefs through scripture, through the spirit, so that you're actually being transformed, that you're not just living life on repeat. You're not just existing in the shallows. God wants to take us deeper. Not so that we're more intellectual, not so that we can say, we can turn our noses up and say, oh, we got it all answers, no. What you'll find is the farther you go, the more you realize, the less you know. And the more of God there is to know. And that's where God wants to take us. There's this eagerness, the prompting going forward. There's a humility, but there's also a boldness. And this is what it means to be truly human. Now, there's a whole lot more I wanted to share, but I don't have a whole lot of time. I was gonna to talk to you about church councils and history. Y'all not very excited about that, I bet. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to skip over those two slides. I think I was going to do uh, a couple of those. Uh, there were a couple important churches back then. We're going to skip over Alexandria and Egypt and Antioch and Syria. Uh, y'all don't even want to hear about that. Uh, go forward. Let's go forward some slides. Pop through those really quick. Uh, yeah. Okay. We're going to make a statement. Jesus, the Christ, has, this is kind of a summary statement. He has two natures that are in one hypostatic union. What does that mean? Well, this is kind of the theological scholarly way of saying that uh, Jesus has hum humanity and divinity and they are unmixed, they're distinct, but they're also inseparable, okay? Um, and when you get into heresies, typically what you get into is somebody that tries to mix the two or someone that tries to separate the two. But what we see in scripture is something that embraces the, those two realities, those two uh, substances, or persons or of, of the dynamics. See, language is just really hard to wrap around it, but it's unmixed and it's inseparable. And so that all leads to the why, okay? And we're gonna end with this and then you're gonna go to journey group and you're gonna talk about all kinds of cool things about it. But here's the why behind it. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, why? So that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Um, I think it's really cool that what John says is I'm writing all this because I, I, I want my joy to be complete. And the only way I'm complete is if you're complete. And the only way you're complete is that if you have fellowship with Jesus and through Jesus, you have fellowship with the father. It's exactly what Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17. He prayed for you. He prayed. He said, I, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one, Father. And so this is, this is the primary um, motivation of Jesus is that he wants to be together in fellowship. Fellowship is not just some hangout after church. Fellowship means to have in common. It means to be relationally close. It means to be tied together. It means to be unmixed and inseparable at the same time. To be fully yourself, but be unseparated 
from God himself. How did he do that? I wanna leave you with this scripture and then we're gonna sing about it as we close our time together. I wanna read this to you. Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What happened through Jesus is God showed up. Have you ever had somebody show up for you? You know what I mean? Like showed up for you when you needed something. I mean, we would say that's the definition of a true friend. And sometimes it surprises you who shows up, you know, uh, it really does. But here's the thing. What was more surprising than a friend showing up for you is that God showed up for you. Nobody thought that God would do that. Legally speaking, if you just want to use the legal metaphor, there's no reason that God had to do that. He chose to do that. He showed up. He showed up in presence, God with us, Emmanuel. And if you want to experience faith, if you want to find certainty that's not built on just a here today, gone tomorrow things, then what you have to do is you have to go through the one high priest, the mediator, the one that has come to bring access to God. It's attainable. And the way that you do that is you confess your inability to get there on your own. And you turn to the one who's come on your behalf. Uh, I hope this is a reminder to all of us and I hope it prompts you on whatever level you need to be prompted, encourages you on whatever level you need to be encouraged. And um, it's by, by far not a perfect message or a perfect uh, presentation of something so profound in such a short time. But I trust that the Spirit, because the Spirit wants you to know Him so bad that He sent His Son. He came in the flesh for you. And if you would like to enter into that relationship, I'd love to give you a second either to say, God, I, I, I wanna thank you for that, uh, that you found me, or maybe today's the first time that you come to him and you're saying to him, it's you and it's not me. So I wanna give you a chance to do either one of those two things. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you today that <clears throat> you did come for us. Um, because of that, there is nowhere else for us to go. There, uh, it's such a beautiful thing that you came physically. You didn't just give us uh, philosophy. You didn't force us into just the, uh, just some ideas uh, to better ourselves, but instead you showed up. And um, Lord, we don't claim to understand it, this union, that you're unmixed and inseparable. But we believe it to be true because it, it, through your spirit, it makes so much sense in, in a way that's deeper than just logic. It, it's, it's so much deeper. And we want to wrap our minds and our lives around you. We want to fully embrace what it means to live for you alone. And so I wanna pray for my friends that are in the room right now that are struggling with questions. I pray that uh, they would not be afraid to ask those of you. But I also pray, God, that you would give them an ability to hear from you not just ask you things. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak very clearly and that you would show up and that they would receive that. Lord, right now, would you give them the courage to call out to you and confess their sin to you, to say, I wanna follow you as my Lord and Savior. 
Lord, unless you draw them, there's nothing that any of us could do and there's nothing that they themselves could do. And so we, God, we, we trust you for that. We also pray, God, in gratitude today as a church that we don't have to have a cool slogan. We don't have to have uh, anything special. The truth is there's nothing special about this church. There's nothing unique about this church. We are a part of a bigger story. And so we embrace the reality, God, that our place uh, right here is where you've placed us. And we wanna do our part to live for you. And we want to be thankful for all the others across the world that are doing the same. And so Lord, we pray that you would extend your kingdom of goodness, your good, good world, where you are permeated your presence within it. And we as image bearers reveal and reflect the character of God. Help us, God, as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.